Welcome to Playing With Fire, the podcast for people who are ready to custom build their love. We're talking about non-monogamy, however you design it, as an individuation opportunity. Want to leave the default and make your life spectacularly you? You're in the right place. Hello again. Hi. Uh, Today, I'm interested in a topic that's been coming up a lot lately, which is power. And specifically, yeah, power. Well, we just talked about power last week. We talked about you, power last week. You had a great idea to continue the conversation about in a more specific direction. Yeah. Um, the things that I've been thinking about are, well, think about me because it's what I do. I like oh, me. Oh, we all do. I you're think, not. Actually, I don't like you're me not all special. that much, but I think about myself a you're lot. You're not special. You're not the only one who thinks about yourself It's impossible. The- I'm not special. <laughs> anyway, okay. back to me. <laughs> Um, as, as a, as socialized as a man throughout my life. You were. And also. You were brought up as a man and then you, you identified as mm-hmm. a man. You identify more non-binary now, but. Yep. I mean, I identified as a man throughout most of my adult life. Awkwardly, it's true, but nonetheless, I tried to Very bring to, to me all the things that I thought being a man meant and was and, um, and one of those things was, well, I got on the career escalator. Oh, sure. Uh, it, it ended up being like one of those things at the airport where you just keep going flat. <laughs> I didn't really engage in the stepping up. Um, but anyway. Not as much as you could have, that's but for I, sure. But I got into the groove. And I got into the go to the work, be at my job, and then come home. And then uh, in my first marriage, we had kids. And then it was... Uh, go away to work and then come home to a house full of uh, life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, kids do bring a lot of life force yeah, and with them. That, that and was mess. A, and mess. And Legos. And, Nobody and tells Legos. you about Legos. Oh, the Legos. Uh, stopped going barefoot around the house after a while at that sure. point. But I brought home um, this... Every day when I would come home, I would bring this this particular perspective that I now look back and can see how it's related to power. I would come home having worked all day and and just felt like while I was at work, work just took precedence. That was it. That's what I was doing. And then I would come home and having worked for eight hours or whatever, I'd be like, okay, I'm done. I'm coming home, which is kind of how life was before kids. Didn't need to be, <laughs> but it was. Um, and then I'd be like, okay, I'm home. Now I'm going to, oh, no, I, I'm not going to do what I thought I was going to do. Instead, I'm going to deal with all that life and chaos and mess that is at home. Mm. And I had a choice at that point. Do I engage in it? Do I say, nope, I did my job already today. I'm done. Um, and that varied from day to day. Some days I'd be like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do this. I already did my job. I already did my thing. Which is funny because from the outside, I like I was not your wife at that point. From the out, but I was your friend. From the outside, I thought you looked like a person who was coming home from work and participating fully. However, well, I knew your wife, and I knew that was not her experience. Right. I, I I knew her. I was friends with her. I enjoyed her company very very much, and we would talk about that. It it did feel a little bit like each each of us in that particular circle. Um, our pa- the parent who was going off to work, because there was a bunch of supposedly stay-at-home parents. I happened to run a couple of businesses while I did that, but 
the parent who went off to work, there was this sort of sense of, oh, that sounds relieving. I'd only have to think of one thing at a time. Yeah, it, and it was. Um, and that's not how my day-to-day -day life was as a, as a parent or as um, like a person running the house at home. But so you looked like you were participating fully, but there, there is, there's something here about like perception <laughs> of power. Totally. Like it didn't feel like a power move to you, right? To come home and no. be like, no, nope. well, I'm, I did my thing. I'm tired. I need, right. Yeah. Um, and, um, so what I came home with, at least this is how I think about it now, what I came home with was a sense of entitlement that I'd yeah. already done a thing. I did the thing that I signed up to do. And now I am entitled to not do any more, despite the fact that the world that I had volunteered for and created required more. Yeah. I, I had this sense of entitlement that I didn't need to. I was entitled to a break. I was entitled to not participate fully. And what you were saying about it looking like I was, I mean, I did participate, but not fully most of the time. And that's because I was... If, as I mentioned last episode, I spent a lot of energy managing perceptions. So it looked that way. Who I was and what I looked like. So it looked like I was participating fully. Um, and, know, I'm, and I'm super intrigued too by the idea that um, you are reflecting on this from here, from, from where you are. So this is so yeah. 20 years on. You're looking back over yep. your life and there's like a first six or seven years where you, that's what you're talking about. Your first six or seven years of parenting and yeah. and, that, yep. and one of the reasons you can see this is that's not how your life works now. That's right. It's not. This is <laughs> um, not what, what. Not at all. So you're, you're able to see this in part because you, mm -hmm. you do not come home with that sort of entitlement. No. In fact, I no. don't even leave. And no, that's, that's, I mean, you're here. Well, but the he, thing is, I used to work at home. I worked at home from when, um, from right from the moment I became a parent, I worked at home for a long time. Like a couple of years. Before I actually went back. And even then, I only went back one or two days a week. Sure. Um, so I was home all the time. But now I'm home and engaged in the house, even while I'm working. Even while you're working. And... Which, I mean, I could have been even when I went away at work, too, so because I have a phone. The reason I'm, yeah, the reason I'm interested in this is I don't know that you'd be able to see it, right? Like, the reason you see your entitlement, because you use the word entitlement, and the reason I think you can see it now is you no longer, you no longer at least act as a person who is entitled to not have to deal with your children or the house that you have or what you don't you fully no. participate um which means sometimes having to move a meeting because someone needs something yep. or having to rearrange your schedule so that you can handle the life that actually happens in your household and you don't and this this was key for me is you there was a period of time where we were joining our families and you did that you would move meetings or you would, you know, pick up an extra, you'd move a shift or whatever. Yep. But I would have the very clear sense that you were doing it for me. Not yeah. so much for the kids who needed help or for the household, but I would have this sense that you were then doing that for me, which was really weird because we were both working. The way... But there, but there it was. The fact that you felt it that way... Um, 
I think shows me that that was a power move on my part. I made sure you knew that this was for you, that I didn't, that this wasn't my responsibility. I'm doing it to help you. And I mean this really like subtle level communication because we tried, you, I remember you talking about trying to have an egalitarian home right from like way back into our very early parenting days when we were just friends. Yep, absolutely. Trying to have an egalitarian home and, and therefore fully participating as a parent not as a removed, you know, working parent versus stay-at-home parent about trying to participate. But there were subtle, there's a subtlety. There's mm-hmm. another layer to the communication. There's all the subtext. And the subtext, when I then became the person who you were sharing primary child-rearing duties with, yeah, I picked that up too. And I was like, oh, yeah, you, you make more money than I do currently. Um, so I guess it has to be this way I guess like I responded to the entitlement and and actually doubled down I reinforced it without even realizing Mm -hmm. I was I took my own childhood messaging which is that my father made a little bit more than my mother and therefore all of the all of the child rearing duties were hers even though my father did show up he like he would show up at my concerts and he would pick me up from school sometimes and whatever but there was there was a subtext of helping of of I'm helping her that that's so like that is so key the the subtext it sounds straightforward the subtext if i'm helping i'm helping you well good for me i look at me helping out <laughs> wait a minute isn't this my responsibility right. aren't i helping me by making this go the way i want it to go because it's my responsibility and that's where i go into a whole other thing about how i think about this okay so before you go before into the other thing because there, there's that i think that is very important <laughs> but you know, if, if, well, if you were on my TikTok for you page, you would see all sorts of men, women, and other, and other people um, talking about how we deal with unpaid labor. Right. And right. I, because so, to some extent, what we're talking about here is just the unpaid labor. It takes energy and effort to run a, a household, to run a home. It takes energy and effort to feed ourselves to take showers, to participate in the day-to-day minutia of like paying bills and cook food. But also to just exist. We exist in a society where like, I mean, it takes effort for me to do anything, to, to interact in the society at all or to opt out of it. Like it takes effort. And I heard you just say like, well, wasn't this mine? Didn't I sign up for this responsibility? I see some resistance around that. I feel it even in myself. I'm like, I didn't ask to be born. <laughs> oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Like existential. Existential um, level. Like, oh, why do I have to do anything? I don't want to be told to do anything. And when I say told to, I don't mean even some external figure. I don't even want to have to tell myself to do it. I wonder if the universe feels that. You know, I didn't ask to have a big bang. I, oh I don't know what God. all this is. <laughs> Let's just capture that for a moment. <laughs> ask for this because yeah so that what's the more 14 year old thing you could possibly say just i, I never I'd asked never. to be born <laughs> yep. yeah yeah and and i i clearly remember being angry at my mother for having me um and mine was very specific because she had a chronic and terminal illness that had a 50 percent heredity rate had um had, like that i would have it too um, and as it turned out, 50% of her children did get it, and one of them has died. 
And I did not. And I remember being angry, but I was angry in this like pointed way. Like, you knew you could pass this to me. Why would you have me? Ironically, my, my brother never seemed to, to have that, which yeah. I, yeah, I find very touching that he did not take that stance. And I don't feel that way now, but I also dodged the bullet. But, but under all of that was also just this existential level. Oh my gosh, it's a lot of work to just be incarnated, to be here, to exist. And sometimes I just feel resistant to it. And then when I feel resistant, everything anyone asks of me can feel like a power move. It can feel like they're trying to manipulate me, coerce me. They're trying yeah. to get me to do stuff. Um, even the people who I designed relationships with. I'm familiar with that feeling. I mean, I get that feeling from the dog sometimes. <laughs> like when things get yeah. really busy and the dog's like, I want food. Like, yeah, we all want something, dog. Get away from me. <laughs> and then you stand up. And I stand up and I and do it. Feed the dog. But the feeling of that, right? Yeah. That the it feeling can be expensive. of it. It can be expensive. And I think it's the, the answer to that. And why this is so related to power for me is that the disempowerment of imagining that there is any existence where I wouldn't have to participate in my existence. It's, there's a very um, death drive piece here. Yeah. Like yeah, in order it. to not have to participate and be uncomfortable sometimes and to effort and to, to do things and to have things and to, to experience life, we have to be alive and therefore, oh, yeah, I'm not gonna like it all the time. Yeah. And, and that can feel incredibly disempowering. Yeah. But so, the disempowerment really comes from imagining it that there's some other way it could be. Yeah. But the only other uh, way it could be. I remember when my particular way was just part of the ocean and there wasn't all this sloshing all the time. Exactly. It's to yeah. imagine non-duality. To imagine something that we don't, like, that is just completely imaginary as far as we know. There are theories and there's ideas, but... Right. And just, so whatever idea you have about whatever your existence is not here in this embodied state... Um, it, even if you're right, well, it's not here. Yeah, there there is some, it. so the relief I get is that while I'm here, while I'm embodied and I'm doing this thing called life, um, I have to, I have the opportunity to just, ah, to be in the mess. Yeah. But that means dealing with the fact that I actually do have power. Yep. I do have power. I am part of this the echoes of the mess behind your yeah, voice right I mean, there with the, the dogs barking yeah so i see you're tearing up again is this going to be another episode of ken crying no this isn't this isn't crying tears this is well this is um uh, embodied tears i exist here oh, in this yeah. mess and it doesn't come with the prickle of like a sob or you know that that kind of crying it's just my eyes water at, well, as my life has gone on and with the help of uh, Thayer Green, mm. I discovered that those were tears both of frustration and relief. Oh, I'm here. I get, like you were saying, I get to do something now. Yeah. I have control, agency. I, I have the ability to change what's happening around me. Wow. That relief brings tears to my eyes. As well as the frustration of, why does it have to be so hard sometimes? But with incarnation, with beingness, yeah. comes efforting. Yep. 
comes relationship. Mm-hmm. And and in all of that comes the the exertion. Like where there's effort, there is something called power, right? Like Oh. If you're like neat. just from a physics perspective, yes. there's yep. if there's effort, then there's also power available. Yep. Like that's another way we could look at the effort. Yep, it is the application of power. So how do I control the effort, right? Mm-hmm. There's the thing. So there are people who want to control the effort that there is in the world. Yeah. We're called leaders. Like any of us who who's yep. in that. And that might be in a very microcosm of just like I want to control the effort you bring into the world as my as a partner. Or it could be on a macro scale where I want to control countries. I want to control whole yep. whole peoples. But right now, I'm concerned with how do we sh- like how how do we share power? If you were Ooh. super entitled <laughs> at the beginning of your parenting, you moved out of being very entitled, and that allowed us to do something that I think is important. Like we learned to share the power, yeah, in our household. Well, and that's what I part of what I was alluding to before. So I would come home from work with this entitled point of view. Or I would step out of my office with this entitled point of view. Which is to say that I either or both felt like, well, what's happening right now is not my responsibility. Which means as as the people who are running the house, then, then it must be yours mm-hmm. and not mine. So I would come in with this standpoint of this is your responsibility. Or, and I would come in and say, um, I'm going to exert my power and control what I'm doing, and I'm not doing any of that. And leveraging your sense of responsibility about the situation, knowing that you're gonna take care of it, because I know who you are and I know how you're gonna respond to it. And so I exert my power by not doing anything, which was one of my biggest power moves. I gotta go all Spider-Man here. Right? No, totally. Right. Mm -hmm. They're linked. Yeah, with great power comes great responsibility. However you wanna say that, however, whichever version of Spider-Man you wants yeah. to um, talk about I hear I hear something so important that you have just recognized you've named that you knew that one of my core wounds is that I feel responsible for everything like I feel responsible for things so far beyond my control I I, I feel it I feel this really profound sense of responsibility for mm-hmm way too much and so in our early relating all you would have to do is set down the thing Mm -hmm. and you knew you knew me well enough to know that i would step in and handle it and i didn't i I didn't have those thoughts right but my pattern detection my inside knew like my intuition whatever you want to call it just knew that if I set it down, it would get picked up, which, by the way, completely and um, aligns with my role as a youngest child. Well, I don't have to do anything. Anything I set down, somebody will eventually take care of. In my particular middle class white suburban upbringing, that's how it worked. Um, I wasn't required to do as much as I probably should have been required to do. And as a result, it was easy for me to make the power move of yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to wait and then it'll get done. Right. And it happened over and over. So I knew I could rely on you to do it. Right. And in a relationship, there are, there are pivotal moments that most of us miss. 
I see this all the time. I, I, when I'm talking to people who are trying to negotiate a shift from a monogamous paradigm to a non-monogamous paradigm, I will ask them about their relationship agreements, about how they operate um, in their household, how they, what their decision-making frameworks are, how they share power. And most of their answers are, come again? Mm-hmm. Like they don't, the, the monogamous paradigm, because it is ubiquitous and it holds us so uh, pervasively, it doesn't tell you, hey, by the way, you just made a relationship with someone and now you're making a life with them. And so here's the list of stuff you're gonna have to negotiate because if you don't negotiate it, you will both be acting out of unconscious patterning that you saw from right. your whole life. You're gonna, and then you'll act into what you believe is possible, what you believe is right, and it won't be reflective and it won't be conscious. It will just be what is. Yeah. Or you'll respond to emergencies. You'll just pop emergency, like urgency to urgency. You'll just float through life. And before you know it, you have a pattern and then you count on it. I did both those things. Right. And so, <laughs> right. And so there it is. It, and that was the pattern. So it was comfortable. Even when it was hard. And what's comfortable feels and, right. Yeah. Right. So then yeah. we get to a spot where what I've been doing... Well, I mean, I'm still here. I exist. And uh, the kids are okay. So it's probably right. This is right. When there is always an opportunity to redress power. There is always an opportunity to renegotiate relationship. If you're in a consensual relationship, then there, by definition, needs to be the opportunity to renegotiate. And if there's not, you really got to question whether that's a consensual relationship or not. You just do. And sorry, that's... That's the uncomfortable truth. And when one person in a relationship brings up wanting to renegotiate, if negotiation hasn't been like the go-to, if if conscious, active, like let's sit down with a pencil and paper and talk about areas of our relationship and domains of responsibility and Mm -hmm. who's going to do this and who's going to do that. And, And not just do the thing, but who's going to be responsible for knowing that it has to be done, for completing the task. That's a whole other for, level of stuff, yeah. For, right. And then for wrapping up any loose ends at the end and then scheduling the next time. If we don't sit down and do those levels of negotiation, then it is most likely that over the course of any given relationship, we're going to build resentment. Yep. Because we're going to start falling into patterns and most relationships aren't this way. And so now we're we're eons into people acting on the patterns that they observed in their childhood homes or that they observe amongst their peers and then and then just doing that long enough that you think, well, this is just what's right. And that is not the kind of re- reflective, conscious relationship I want to have. But in order to do something else, I have to be willing to share power with you. Because this isn't actually just one-sided. So it's easy to act like, okay, because you got to go on what we now might call an eight-hour vacation right. where you'd close your office door. Yep. And um, and you did this while we were running the gym together too. You would close your office door and I would have all the homeschooling kids and I'd be running the gym. Right. And I would right. just like somehow juggle all that. And so you would go on that eight-hour vacation. And so it's really easy to point to how entitled, how much entitled bullshit there is in coming home yeah. then and being like, I'm yeah. tired. I don't want to do anything. But, you but, but wait, but this... In the context of this domain, you've done nothing. Yeah. And really important, I knew that. And so I was banking that, 
right? Oh, I would bank it oh, every like, day, day after day. Like, yep, there's another like, chunk. Oh my gosh, there's another, there's another. And when I say I knew that, I mean, I consciously knew it on some levels. I knew that I was doing more than my fair share of the parenting and the householding, but also on unconscious levels that I really truly was not aware of, but I can feel back into them. I was aware that I was bearing a load. You were too, so you had some of your own loads to bear, but I was aware that I was bearing a load. And one of them was, I was bearing the load of who these children became. Like I was really holding that up. And over time, I think I began to think of that as a way I could guilt you, a way I could manipulate you. And like, I feel pretty shitty saying that, but I, I think it's, it's silly for me not to acknowledge when I felt uncomfortable, I could point to this enormous imbalance in the power sharing and responsibility in our relationship. And I could get you to do stuff like comfort me, like soothe me, like treat me like a princess, like, or like just feel bad. Cause then we could both feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and cause misery really does love company. And that was me like playing out the story I had watched my mother play out yeah. where she was never going to get my father to step up she, or she never did get my father to step up equally to the plate, but she did bank all of that and, and it came out subtly and it came out in its own sense of entitlement of mm. like, well, you owe me, I've been doing this. And well, and that was, that came up as a theme for years for us. The fact that- And in each okay, of our divorces too. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. But something that, that we dug into in our relationship is, so if I'm, if I create a circumstance and you respond to it by using this 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 entitlement that you've banked up yep. this, and this, this um, not Resent engaging. It's my, my bank of resentment that I have now converted into entitlement. And when you use that bank of resentment to pay for the things you want from me, there's no way for, the, for me to give them to you. So now you feel... Right like you're either unwanted or I'm not actually engaging in our relationship the way you want me to because I'm not giving you the things you need because I'm only giving you the things I pay for because you're charging because you already me. owed them goes, right because so, I already owed them and right was, so now you can you can never give me anything yeah so now it's just we're just in this transactional nonsense so be careful with power use because you can you can get what you want in a way that makes it so you don't get what you want so that you can't get anything. Yeah, right. I, and this, that's exactly where I found myself. I got to a spot where I realized that I resented so much of what we had built together mm. that um, there was just nowhere to go. I felt I was happy that we had landed on our feet together. In other words, that we had decided to stay together. We started in such a messy spot. Um, and then we went through a, a lot of losses. And then... We picked each other and we decided, you know what, let's let's do this. Let's raise our children together. Let's get married, which was a weird decision at the time, but and it had a lot to do with, you know, property and, and how the state rewards marriage. Yeah. Way more to do with that than anything else. But we decided to do that thing and I didn't realize that the the cost of all that resentment was gonna be that really because we'd we'd already been through a mess. I had gotten to a spot where by 2000, by 2014, by January 1st of 2014, there was nothing you could give me. I was just yep. like, oh, my yeah. life is basically 
just sort of playing out this thing that we accidentally built together. Even though from at each step along the way, it felt like we were making the best decisions together we could, but we didn't have as many direct conversations about power yep. as I would have liked. And we were still learning a lot about how power exchanges work, the conscious ones and negotiated ones. And we didn't take the time to imagine past, uh, like, I think there are like layers of imagination. There's like, what's like, what's right there in your imagination. And yeah. then there's stretching yep. your imagination. And then there's just the stuff that you don't even know, you don't know. So you can't even imagine into that. Cause the life I live right now with you, oh my God. Like it's just like, I, I had I no, have imagined this. no, I could not have no. imagined it. It was so far outside. Mm-hmm. And so even finding wonderful help like Thayer, who worked as our joint analyst for a, quite a while, um, he couldn't imagine it either. Right. Right. It was outside mm-hmm. because the thing that we needed to negotiate was really around these like big transformative decisions about how we would share power, how we would like hand each other back the autonomy and agency. Mm-hmm. You get to make your decisions and I get to make mine and also collaborate on things like a house and child rearing and all of that. And we do it imperfectly now, but I remember this this day in very early 2014. So we'd just gotten married. You had just been diagnosed with MS. I had just been accepted into graduate school. Right. And I remember this day where I was like, I can't go to graduate school. I need to I need to be ready to take care of you. I need to take care of all of this. And And I'm the person who's responsible for everything. So I'm going to sacrifice. And there was a moment where you noticed that what I was sacrificing wasn't grad school or just like the idea of something. It was like, I was, I was like martyring myself to like you as a cause. Yeah. And you luckily caught it in time. Because that was going to build up one hell of a resentment I was going to hate you eventually Yeah, and it required us to do some really hard things I mean one of the things we did was close the gym that we had opened together because I said well if I'm going to graduate school I am not going to be homeschooling the children and trying to do full time graduate school and running a gym full time which required me to be in another location literally 14 hours a day I'm not doing all of those things but if you had not recognized that I was martyring myself, I wouldn't have seen it. Because I was raised in a world and socialized to believe that martyring myself to my family was what I was born to do. So it felt entirely normal. And it in fact felt like how I could consolidate power. To what end? Right. Nobody what ever told me. Power? Because <laughs> every single woman I watched consolidate that power died sad. Hmm. I love my mother. She died sad. I love my Mamie, and she died sad. Great. Now it can be my episode to cry. cry. Well, that is sad. I'm so mad that they all... I'm not saying that they didn't love their lives to some degree, but they all died with a sadness that to some degree they chose because they chose to martyr themselves, and the culture upheld it, and the men in their lives upheld it. Yeah. 
Mamie wasn't even married, but there were brothers. There were, she took care of her sister. She took care of her sister's children. So she sacrificed her choice for freedom. And, but she did it. But the thing is, it was an active choice. So I had to decide when you pointed out that I was making a decision not to go to graduate school. You pointed out that that was a decision I was making and that it looked a little martyry and I had to decide to step off the well-worn path of my matrilineage lineage and be selfish as fuck. What felt From right the point the of time. view of a lineage that involved so much martyrdom. Right. So selfish. I like and and beyond just my matrilineage into like all of like whatever comprises womanhood, right? Like what it yeah. is to be. Um, and I needed to do that. It was painful, even though it was the most fun thing I'd ever done. Like closing the gym, I missed the people, but I did not miss fourteen-hour days, and I did not miss continually harming my body by working out many, many hours a day. I, I loved going to graduate school. Did, was it hard to do that and homeschool the kids? Yeah, yeah, it was. It really, really was. I did not miss some things, but the one thing that I remember shifting then was um, you made it clear to me that this was not a sacrifice you were making for me. You were just telling me Hey, you don't have to murder yourself to this. You get to choose you right now. And um, when you did that, you freed me from the idea that you were somehow providing this for me. Which meant we went through a, tr a transformation in our relationship where now, yeah, were you the one making the money? Yep. Were you the one um, actually picking up at least 50% of the household duties? Yep. Because my plate was now really, really full with really important stuff it changed everything about our relationship because you you stopped buying into this this entitled perspective of because I'm bringing the money in I yeah. somehow yep. am entitled to what make all the decisions and also not do the work I like I don't know and I, I had um, my thought about entitlement was I I think that it has to do with unacknowledged power. Hmm. That, that, that the sense of entitlement is... Um, oh. So my, my personal experience, when I act out of entitlement, I am exerting power that, generally speaking, I don't acknowledge. So I don't want you to, ex to perceive it as power. No, it's not power. I'm not, I'm not manipulating the situation. This is just what I deserve. So it should just happen. But there is no force in the universe that upholds entitlement. We uphold it ourselves. Right. Which means and the only way... And a social contract. And a social contract. Socially constructed. Socially constructed. Contracts. And, and the only way that I can act out of entitlement is to exert power. I don't, I don't see any... Like, and, that's my theory right now. And I don't see right, any so other way that it could work. I really appreciate this because what I hear you saying is that the entitlement is... It, it, it just is. It's it's power exerted, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but from a position of, I'm not going to say I'm exerting yeah. this power. Yep. You're saying, this is just how it should be. 
So it will. It's so ir- mode it be. End of story. It's irresponsible power. I don't have to take responsibility for the fact that I'm making this happen. The whole universe wants this to happen. And so this, <laughs> this must be really challenging for you. Because you have avoided responsibility a lot in your I life. I still avoid it. It drives me crazy, but... Yes, I have avoided I mean, responsibility. I'm only saying lot. that because you tell me, yeah. you're like, oh, there it is again. There it is I'm again. avoiding my I'm yep. avoiding responsibility for the decisions I'm making. You watch how I respond to irresponsible people. Oh, also. They yeah. drive me crazy. <laughs> so oh they really that's do. me. Right. Anyway, yes. Right. So remember, projection hack. Anyone who's driving you a little bonkers, just remember that is wonderful information. It while there is truly some annoying behavior, the seed of the annoyance and the way it sticks like Velcro, yeah. that's because there's a seed of it inside yeah. of you. That doesn't mean that you're all bad or anything or that you even are bad to the degree that you're seeing out there in the world. But I loved that when you recognized um, we had a particular child who would just evade responsibility at every go, wouldn't do their homework, would like would just avoid everything, wouldn't show up for jobs. Ram my head through the wall. It made you so furious. So and I was furious. and I would just roll my eyes. And so I would like, have trouble managing okay, there it is myself. Again. I would get so dysregulated by it. Yeah. Because it me. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a wonderful way that children, our children, teach us. Yeah. Um I'm hearing that there is a lot of potential then within each individual to acknowledge how much power we have mm. to really truly face the the martyrdom that we choose because we're not all choosing martyrdom all the time but when that's on the table like recalling that re- like recollecting the martyrdom and saying oh that's what i'm doing I mean, I have to do it continually. Like over and over and over again, I have to come to grips with the fact that I have this tendency to martyr myself to the needs of others. Okay, so it's my job to recollect that nonsense and remember that that is mine and and then act from my actual authentic power, yeah, which is right. to negotiate with the people I share my space with, my time with, and to set boundaries. And, and to have clear agreements. Well, that's which what I was going to say. Yeah, and, big, power and boundaries. Big surprise. The major technology for getting from um, not acting out of your own power and acting in in ways that are counterproductive is talking to the people that you're relating with about. But, but not just any talking, because I think most people okay. have really unresolvable arguments all right and, they, oh, and those right okay. like i mean yeah, Gottman's right. research points to like 69 percent not of, just yeah, talking like, yeah. because okay okay everybody's gonna have a sticky argument that you just like it's not a it's not about the content of the argument it's the process of the argument and you just like it's comfortable and familiar so just talking can keep mm. you in that loop no okay you're right i see but specifically the like and this is why i use tools i'm a tool oriented coach i love having specific tools where i can say okay here's what you're going to work through like here's the worksheet or here's the here's the template to negotiate for um, a change to this uh, to this agreement here are the questions to ask strategically asking questions that aren't just your normal pattern of this right. is what my mom would have said what would your dad have said yeah. and now Here, my let's mom have and your parents dad have a conversation a... <laughs> through us yeah totally right yeah so this is where we break the cycle by having not just not just talking 
by the way, conversations between your mom and my dad. Oh my God. I want to be there for that. Oh, we're okay. Whether I don't care where the afterlife takes place. I am bringing Brandy <laughs> and I'm going to watch this. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to have better relationships where I share power more strategically. So I need to have conversations that I don't already have. That I don't even know I'm not having. So if all of this sounds good, but you're like, yeah, but we talk all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we talked all the freaking time. We talked, I mean, you worked from home. So so we would talk in any like intermittent time and we once totaled it up. And even, even early days, we would spend 20 to 25 hours a week talking about our relationship. And when we told Thayer that, I remember the look oh on his face. Oh my God, he just took his glasses off. <laughs> like, uh, yep. So slow, <laughs> so slow. Yeah. And he was like, okay, how's that going for you? And because, because it wasn't- so many of those 20 to 25 hours was having the same conversation over, over, and, over, and, over and over again, again. instead of actually productive conversations that got us into a different part of a problem or whatever that we could then talk about something new. And I find that to be one of the most interesting parts about our relationship now. So we just went on a, a little vacation. We were gone for four or five days and there were long periods of quiet. 10 years ago, there wouldn't have been. And it's not just because our relationship has aged. It was periods of genuinely contented quiet. There was nothing bad happening. There was nothing to perseverate on. There was nothing to ruminate about and then hash out. So we just hung out. And when we talked, we talked about these sort of ideas. We'd like talk about an idea or we would, we would talk about a, a thing that had happened that was interesting ground cover we just talk about whatever yeah and it was not because we were covering it up and nope. not having the no. underlying conversation it's because we already have built into the relationship these these checkpoints where we we have these hard conversations and on top of that whenever it's time to negotiate we know how to do that now thoughtfully by like breaking right. the pattern in a way that gets us out of those and gets patterns. us out of that yeah so mm -hmm. and that's not easy that has come from applying the same rules of like what does power sharing look like what does what does it look like to be in a power exchange is that what we're doing right now are we exchanging power and if we're not okay well then now we need to have another layer of yeah. conversation and applying the tools from from the kink world from um from dismantling white supremacy, yep. applying those tools, applying the tools of social constructivism and understanding that we are making this relationship ourselves. To some extent, anti-capitalism. Right. Applying like, those same tools has allowed us to more effectively build the relationship we actually want. Yeah. And we still screw it up. Oh, yeah. It's not like we don't still fall into patterns and mm -hmm. then we're like, oh, having that same old fight again. That old chestnut. Yeah. But when you started noticing that you were using entitlement and I started noticing that I was using martyrdom, those were pivotal moments. But I think over and over again, we have to re-recognize it. Because like that's a core wound of mine. Yeah, so I would right. just like keep slipping back into it. Yeah. And I have to remind myself and I have to, th this has been a big gain. You have really made this gain. I can tell you that I believe I'm seeing entitlement and you miraculously you take a breath you take a beat you reflect and you own it when it's true which is a lot of the time yeah 
almost all the time that I'm noticing something, you're like, I can see how that is true. There might also be some other stuff going on. Absolutely, stuff to address, but you own it, which lets us then move in, back into the dialogue, the dialectic that our relationship is, which is delicious. I think I know what has shifted in me that allows that from when I would just like defend and yeah. get away is I have learned to appreciate looking at myself clearly more than having a pretty picture of myself. So I have to take the filters off of Zoom and just look at myself clearly? Yes. Yes. Sigh. And then appreciate that you're looking at what's real more than the illusion. Okay. I will and you know what helped me do that? What? You would look at me and you would see these. I mean, you saw so much of me that I'm like, no, that couldn't possibly be true. <laughs> I was, was 100% true. I was a bit of an ice bucket of but you reality. Kept, but you loved me all that time. So I'm, I'm like, what? How can you do that? No, I don't see it. I can't. And then eventually I, I learned that I, see you, I am lovable. I even love though I am an entitled, irresponsible, um, greedy monster. Right. So Amazing. allowing our monsters to be fully seen. So I learned from you how to appreciate my monster. Yes. Yeah. And then allowing yourself to see them. So that's something I do in my work all the time. I see my clients' monsters all the time. I love my clients. Like, I love them. I, I feel this profound connection to them. Um, loving somebody because of their monsters, because of their complexes, because of their quirks and foibles is, I think that's the best part of life. I think like that, that's it. Like that there's, if I were going to have a meaning of life, it would be in, well, I mean, it, it would be in love, but it would be in the, the love of what is and allowing for it to change at the same time. Yeah. Because the best way I have That's the, wrestled... My favorite paradox. I've wrestled with this my whole life. And it, I feel like just in the last few years, it's really started to work better. In order to be this driven person that I am, that always freaking wants change. I always want change. I always want the next thing. I'm always into progression. And the best way to accomplish that is to fully embrace what is. like, And love it just as it is. <laughs> it feels... Yeah, it's a paradox. And, Love that. And it is just true. Yep. It just is. Okay. So I'm going to love your power-hungry, entitled monster. And ask you to stand out here in this space of like, can we work with that honestly? And will you look at this power-hungry, um, greedy nasty taker that I have in me who wants who wants all the everything and who will manipulate to get it. And will you stand out here and with I me? will absolutely stand out there and love that monster. I do love her. Yeah. And all the other pieces and they come out and they engage with each other. It's... Uh... So I could I, go on and talk about this. Right. I don't day. think that this is something that every relationship does to the same degree, but I do this with friends. I do this with clients. I definitely do this with my children. Um, and I've even started to notice my adult children doing it with me. I have seen them That's like 
notice, oh, that's, that's a place where mom is not yet grown up and just give me the space and time to like collect myself. And it is, oh yeah, just like totally messes me up. Then I'm like, mm-hmm. they let me make a mistake and, and, and gather myself. They are, they are growing up and recognizing that I get to make that mistake and gather myself and come back and apologize and be with the process of repairing. And it's delightful. It is. Okay. Is that enough on power and control for this week? For this week? I think so we are we're going to continue talking about power it's not the only thing but I think that there is this theme it's coming forward in my work and um uh Melina is going to join us and we'll talk about power exchange in the kink area but also I I want to talk about power and how we actively negotiate like what is this technology what are the technologies Mm -hmm. of relationship agreements we've covered them in the past but I have been since refining my technologies around that so that's upcoming too. And if all of this sounds intriguing to you and you're like, I want to do this. I want to have a really conscious relationship and I want to figure out where I can be expansive and and really be with my partner, then I encourage you to join me for one of my free salons. Um, they're, they're called Open Relationships for Smart People. And the reason they're called that is because smart people ask for help when they need it and get information from sources beyond themselves. And opening doesn't have to look a particular way. Yeah, we're gonna talk about opening up um, to dating and to connecting with others, but opening up is also about really handing agency back to each other and being truly autonomous people in relationships. So if that's intriguing to you, join me. I'm running them about monthly, so whenever you're listening to this, um, but there is one upcoming um, next, like. On Thursday and then in two weeks after that. So if you happen to be listening to this live, I know there's one on 4-19-23 and 5-3-23. So you can go to openeasier.com and you'll find the registration link for that. Thanks everybody for listening. Thank you. There's no one right way to design your relationship. And lots of people, actually about 25%, according to a recent national survey, are interested in some type of open relationship. But how do you know if you are ready to open up happily? Not everyone is, and that's no problem. I've got a 60-second quiz that will give you the answer. And even better, you'll walk away with your next step, whether you're good to go or not so much when it comes to opening up. And this is no BuzzFeed nonsense. I personally designed this quiz from my years of academic research. Go to joliquiz.com. That's J O L I Q U I Z.com and find out if you're ready to open up happily and what to do if you are or if you're not.